With that, back into the book, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 12 through 19 tonight. You all have your Bibles, right? Nobody missing the Bible? If you don't got one, Bob will give you his. I see we have some technical or technological Bibles out there. I will make no comments other than I love this Bible. I love to hold this thing in my hand and smell it and uh, flip the pages and all that kind of good stuff. Something about holding the Word of God in your hand. Amen? Amen. Title tonight, Suffering as a Christian. Suffering as a Christian. Let's read the passage and we'll get into the study tonight. Chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved... Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And I love verse 12. Man, how often have we thought it strange at the fiery trial that we're in, in a sense of like, oh, my gosh, what is happening Why is this happening? It's only happening to me. I can't believe it. Now, remember last week you talked about being ready for war. Peter's saying the end of all things is at hand. Verse 12, imagine, as we talked about last week, what these believers were going through for Peter to describe these trials as a fiery trial. And this fiery trial speaks of an open hearth furnace. And years ago, 19... When I was a 19-year-old kid, I worked at U.S. Steel. Anybody work at U.S. Steel? Remember, anybody remember U.S. Steel? <laughs> Where Honda is now? 19-year-old kid walking through that steel plant with grown men. That was a place where men worked. I'm serious, guys. That place was so scary. It was nuts. They had five open hearth furnaces that were up on the top where they would have these blast furnaces going and the the, the the pressurized gas and everything, heating this stuff and melting this metal down, going down in this gigantic, like, 15-foot deep ladle that they would tape with a crane and they'd bring it over to where the area I worked. And I kid you not, we'd have to go out on this, like, catwalk right above this huge, and it's just, looks like the sun. And we had to shove this rod down in there to get the temperature. And it's just 2,300 degrees, and we're right on top of this thing. We're in all the gear and everything, our little plastic face mask. It would just, you know, ripple because it was so hot and everything. Man, this blast furnace. This is what Peter is talking about. 
Even, even to the point where I'm sure he's, he's thinking maybe about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, or Abednego as people would call it. Think about that. These boys going into the fiery furnace heated seven times. That's what we're talking about. These are the fiery trials that even talking, possibly we talked about last week, were maybe the allusion to Nero and burning the Christians on the stake there. And when you think about the fiery trials in your life, this isn't the trial where, you know, you, you get your order late at Starbucks or maybe Chick-fil-A messes up your, your sandwich or whatever or, you know, the, the little things. You get a flat tire or even a car accident. I mean, we're talking, these are the fiery trials of life. The ones that, that have the ability to reduce you to nothing but ashes. To take you to the lowest place of your life. To the, the most despairing place of your life. And in the room here, no doubt, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Whatever it is, maybe it's, it's a loss of a loved one, which is huge on the list. Or maybe it's financial disaster or, or maybe a relationship that's, that's broken and been destroyed. Or maybe a kid or a daughter, a son or a daughter that's on drugs, addicted to drugs. Maybe like when I talked a while back about the loss of my dog, Finn, a year ago. These fiery trials, these things that, that just have that ability just to destroy us. It's a place really that you never want to go. And you're begging God to get you out. And yet, as you have come through those... And looking back and reflecting and seeing, man, as much really as you hated it, there was something deep that God was working in your heart and your life. Unbelievable. You come through it, you're stronger in the Lord, your faith is deeper. A guy named George Romains, a Scottish Presbyterian minister, 1805 to 1871, he puts it like this. It's a tremendous moment when one is called upon to join the great army of those who suffer. That vast world of love and pain opens suddenly to admit us one by one within its fortress. We are afraid to enter into the land, yet you will, and you will feel how high the call is. It's as a trumpet speaking to us that cries aloud, it's your turn, endure, play your part. As they endured before you, so now close up the ranks. Be patient and strong as they were. Since Christ, this world of pain is not an accident, but a lawful department of life. With experiences, hopes, secrets of its own, these are all thrown open to us as we pass within the gates. Things that we could never learn or know or see so long as things were well. Anybody want to go into the fiery trial tonight? You might be in it right now. Nobody does. And yet, man. And remember what Peter told us in chapter 2, verse 21. For this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Well, Peter's saying that in my suffering, in your suffering, I am to suffer as a Christian. Suffer as a Christian, brothers. To suffer in such a way as to bring glory to God, to honor the one who suffered for us, for me and for you, following his example. To the point even that it is a privilege, guys. It is the high calling. 
the high calling, to imitate Jesus in my suffering. As a witness to the world that God is real, God is true, God is righteous, God is strength, God is with us. As the world sees you going through it, understanding that that it can't touch me, it won't stop me, it's not going to change my direction. Understanding, guys, really that the things that we suffer in this life, remember, they are earthly. They're not going with us to our new home to our real home. Remember, we're just passing through here, right? We're just ambassadors. We're, on, we're missionaries. Once you got saved, you become a missionary of Christ. So the things that we suffer, yes, they're real. Our emotions are real. We're, we're human. God knows this. But you know what? Whatever you're going through today, if you died tonight, guess what? You ain't even going to remember it. You're not even going to look back. Because if you could, if you did, as far as I'm concerned, that ain't paradise. Amen? Amen. On the contrary, for us, it should encourage us because it's proof. It's proof that I know Jesus. Proof that I've come to the light. Why else do we go through these trials? Why else does the enemy attack? And, And why does God allow those things? Man, I can rejoice, as Peter said there in chapter one, with joy inexpressible, and full of glory, receiving the, as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Man. So how do I suffer as a Christian? Number one, I rejoice in the furnace. Number two, I respond properly to trials. Number three, I realize what is coming. And number four, I commit my soul to him. Number one, verse 12 through 14, I rejoice in the furnace. And you're probably thinking, are you out of your mind? I didn't write it. Peter wrote it. Paul wrote it. We're going to go to a passage in 2 Corinthians. It's amazing. I rejoice. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is a trial, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Third time Peter uses the word rejoice. He says, rejoice that we get to partake of sufferings. Hallelujah. Praise God. (laughs) No. Yes. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12, 7. You need to know this address because here Paul kind of expresses the same thing. Where we see Paul when he's going through it like none of us have ever experienced. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now in this passage of scripture, this is the great passage of scripture where Paul is taken up in the body, out of the body, he doesn't know, but he's taken up to the third heaven and given a glimpse of heaven. He had had an advantage that we haven't had, you guys. You got to admit that. He he got a glimpse. He went into paradise, so he saw paradise. He heard words that were just can't even, can't even describe, can't even come close. So he's not going to say anything about this. So he's caught up in paradise. But verse 7, though, here's the deal. He goes on to say, unless I should be exalted above measure, I become prideful because of what I saw and experienced. By the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan. Who might that be? One of his demons. To buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. What was that thorn in the flesh? The messenger of Satan. 
Many think that Paul had a problem with his eyes. You can get that out of Galatians of chapter 4. And think about it, what he saw, maybe the enemy, you know what, I'm, I'm going to attack the very things you saw with, possibly. Who knows? It, you know, the point is, he pleaded with God, begged God three times, please, please, please take it. So what happens? Huh. Verse 9, and he, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Guys, this is a life verse. Many of you already know this. Many of you have been there and understand this. This is a lifer. This is one you got to hold on to all the time. His grace is sufficient. What God can supply and what his grace is, that favor, all that means. So Paul says, huh, therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities. He's not going to boast in what he saw. He's going to boast in his weakness. He's going to boast in this trial, this, this fiery trial that he's going through. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Peter talks in our passage about the fact that when we're going through these things, when we're experiencing things, the Holy Spirit is resting upon you. The Holy Spirit is there for us. Therefore, verse 10, this is what just blows my mind. <laughs> Therefore, I take pleasure. Can anybody say that tonight? I take pleasure. Like, like, I take pleasure. If there was a donut over there with that cup of coffee, I'd be taking pleasure in that right now. Do you take pleasure in your fiery trials? If you, if you do, I think you're a little nuts. I think Paul's like, but we see what he's saying here. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs. It's almost like bring it all on, anything, in needs, in persecutions, in stresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Man, did Paul have the secret. He boasted in his trials to the point of taking pleasure in them. Why? Because when he went through them, the grace of God coming and lifting and bringing him through. Just like many of you who have gone through that fiery trial and to see where you're at today. You may be a little bit smoking still, you know, stinking a little bit, you know, from the fire, but you came through it. So how do I rejoice in the furnace? Number one, know that you're loved. Verse 12, beloved, beloved, beloved. Divinely loved ones, loved with all the love of God. I look back in Jeremiah 31, 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness I have drawn you to me. And guys, this is one of the most important things that we got to hold on to when you go through the fiery trials. you gotta, you got to know steadfastly that no matter how it looks, no matter that it doesn't make any sense to you, God still loves you with an everlasting love, an unconditional love, so much so that it was demonstrated on a cross for you and me. Man. So how do we make sure? Well, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. This is another passage of Scripture that you have to have the address for that even tuck away in your heart. I've memorized this passage. Why? Because <laughs> I need to remember he loves me. I need to go back over this thing so many times. Chapter 8, verse 31 what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, say with me, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, 
but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Okay, here. First thing he's saying, hey, the demonstration of love, he gave his son. He gave his son. All right? Next, 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. No charges can come against us, you guys. We've been justified. We've been found not guilty. We are free because of Jesus. Who is it who condemns? And even if we are condemned, it is Christ who died. He took the condemnation. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, and who also makes intercession for us, praying for you and me right now. And then 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. This basically speaks of the Christian walk. <laughs> Yet 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other created thing, guys, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Number one, brothers, I can rejoice in the furnace because I know that I'm loved. Number two, also I can rejoice because I know that it is normal. When we get to chapter 5, we're going to see a verse there where it talks about the fact that the same things are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. We're not in this alone. we got to stop thinking this is not supposed to happen. That's the hardest part when you're going through it. It's supposed to be like this. Wait a minute. Why do we feel that way? Because sometimes Christianity is portrayed and the prosperity doctrine, people do this really well as if, hey, here's the deal. Well, you come to Jesus and, man, you're going to be rich, you're going to be handsome, your hair's going to grow back, you're going to be healthy, you'll never get sick, you have a Rolls Royce in the driveway and a bunch of money in the bank. That's it, man. Anybody want to sign it for that? I'll rejoice in that. <laughs> man. But the problem is that when the trials hit and things do happen, what those teachers will tell you, well, Dude, it's all on you. You ain't got enough faith. That's your problem. That's your problem. See, if you had faith like me, you'd have the car keys that I got kind of a deal. But see, guys, the problem is that's not biblical Christianity. See, OC Christianity, Orange County Christianity is, is oh, man, everything's wonderful, and everybody's driving their Range Rover, and it's white and it's black. I mean, it's everybody's, they're all perfect. Come to L.A., baby. <laughs> it ain't perfect. It ain't perfect. Man, what happened is that life like that, that isn't biblical. It's false. Biblical Christianity is often filled with trials and persecutions and suffering. Why? Why, why, why? You ever ask that question, why? David asked that question, why, four times in Psalm 13. Why? And how long, how long, how long, O oh Lord? Why? It's to keep us looking to Jesus in heaven, guys, to keep a light touch on this planet. Man, because if everything was so perfect in your life here on earth, you might be like, well, Lord, you know what? Please don't, please don't come back. Please, please wait, wait till I'm like real, real, real old, maybe. You know, I, I'm liking it too much here. 
Who'd want to go home right now if we could? Man, your hands didn't go up too fast there, brothers. <laughs> now, if your hand didn't go up, maybe there's something going on there. Like, you know what? I'm kind of, I'm pretty well set up. Yeah, I don't know, brothers. Man, don't get comfortable. Don't be surprised. Rather expect it. And number three, verse 13, know that you're privileged. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. And partakers is this word koinonio. means to come into communion or fellowship with, to become a sharer, to be made a partner. Guys, we've been given the privilege to participate with Christ in our suffering. His participation brings a type of fellowship, of communion, kind of like those who experience some sort of traumatic thing together. Something where, the, where it bonds you. You've gone through something. Man, you're like, wow, we went through the, the you know, I was thinking about the jurors today on the, the, uh, the trial that, that just took place. Those 12 jurors, those people are bonded for life for what they went through, what they experienced. The traumatic things that they had to see and, and hear during this, this trial. They're bonded. That's how it is with us with Christ. We're bonded when we go through these things. When we see how he suffered and we are suffering, Man, it brings a fellowship that wouldn't be there because you're crying out to Jesus like never, ever before in your life. Paul said it in Philippians 3.10 this way. He says, that I may know him in the power of the resurrection and the fellowship, the koinonia of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Know that you're privileged, number four. Know that you will be rewarded. What does he say? That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. See, the reward will be that when we get to heaven and this all ends and that the whole universe comes and bows at the knee of Jesus and confesses him as Lord, we're going to be there. We're going to be watching this. We're going to be rejoicing. We're going to be glorying in his glory. We're going to be there when this happens. Amazing. Isn't that going to be awesome? Number five, though, know that God is with you. Verse 14, if you are approached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He's with us, you guys. When we're approached or insulted for Christ, God doesn't hang us out to dry. He doesn't throw us under the bus. He's given us the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit to be there to comfort us, to guide us, to speak to us, to encourage us, even protect us, protect our hearts and our minds, that he may be glorified. For them, on their part, he is blasphemed. They're, they're rejecting him, but on your part, he is glorified in what you're doing. So number one, we rejoice in the furnace. Number two, how do I suffer as a Christian? Number two, I respond properly to suffering. Verse 15 and 16, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. Now, can you believe he just put this in there? Or as a busybody in other people's matters? What is he saying here? Guys, sin is sin. I mean, you look at the big murder. Wait a minute. Oh, the other. Busybody, gossip, basically. Someone who's meddling in other people's business. Sin is sin. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, because you become a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. 
Suffering as a Christian. How do I suffer as a Christian? I respond properly to the trials. And of course, the key in all this, guys, is to bring glory to God. And how I respond, and when we do, and we're following the example that Christ, who glorified his Father in heaven, you read the prayer of Jesus in John 17, I have glorified you, now glorify me, your son. And the way he responded, and our response, guys, man, so, 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 so important. The eyes are watching us. And remember, God allows things to happen in your life that are happening in the lives of the non-believers so that the non-believers can speak to you about the things that happen in your life and you can say, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. So you went through that too? Wow, when did that happen? Oh, last year. What? I, I couldn't tell. Really? You seemed like everything was fine. Man, this, this Christianity stuff must really be working. Get it, guys? When they see us going through what they're going through. But the question is, is our suffering a good witness of Christ? Or are they suffering better than you? Are they handling life better than you, the Christian, the one who calls upon God, the one who says he puts his trust in God? The one who says, you know, he's, he's in church and he's praying, he's reading the Bible. Are you the one that's whining and crying and complaining the most? Letting everybody know that you're going through it. Number one, though, I respond properly. Number one, though, don't be the cause of your suffering. I like that he puts this in this. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, thief, an evildoer. Making sure that you're walking properly in obedience and Peter may have mind in mind there the, those that maybe as they were going through it, they were not responding properly. Maybe they were taking matters into their own hands, overreacting or getting short, getting tense, snapping, responding improperly, misrepresenting the Lord. And we, we read in, in the account of Moses, man, there in, in Numbers, I think Numbers, oh, I want to say 20, maybe 21. Anyhow, the story where they come to the water and the Lord speaks to him, tells him, hey, speak to the rock. Speak, speak. And what does Moses do? He's so upset by now. Him and Aaron, he just wails on that rock and water comes out. God calls him over. What did I tell you to do? How come you did that? You misrepresented me. You did not hallow me before the people. What did it cost Moses? Caused him the promised land. Caused him the promised land. God took him up on the mountain. Take a look, bro. That's what you missed out on because I'm telling you what, I'm kind of on Moses' side. It's like, man, Lord, that's a tough one. Man, those people drove him crazy. And yet, in his suffering, no excuse. Don't be the cause of your suffering. Number two, don't be ashamed of your suffering. Verse 60 says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter. Remember that many of these believers, they went from Judaism to Christianity. And what happened to them? They were rejected. They were reviled. They were harassed by, of course, their families and, and even those in the, the synagogue maybe they used to be in. But not only that, they were harassed and, and persecuted by the government as well. 
So you think about these guys, they might have been looking just like, man, I'm the fool here. We read about Paul in, in Philippians chapter 3 when he said, what did Paul lose in this deal? He, and he, he was glad he gave it all up for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Yet think of what he lost in this deal. He was a Pharisee. No doubt had a big place, prominent house, probably lots of money, wife. We don't know about what happened to his wife, but I think that she's like, you're going to follow this, this crazy man, Jesus? I'm out of here. I'm staying in with the comfortable life that I had. You go out there and be a tent maker. Ashamed, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1-2, for this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded he's able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. And that's so important, guys. To know, to know, to know. Because no doubt there's been that embarrassment. There's been that ridicule, more than likely in the workplace, especially when when you were in the workplace as a non-Christian, you get saved, and then you're back in the same workplace as a Christian now. That was my experience. And there was that snickering, that, that kind of stuff going on. Not a shame, baby. Paul was not embarrassed to be a Christian. He knew no matter what was said about him or what was happening, he was on the right team, and God had him covered. Number three, though, I respond properly to suffering Number three, bring glory to God in your suffering. Verse 16, of course. Let him glorify God in this matter. A proper response to the trials that brings glory to God. I was thinking about this. What example do we have in Scripture that, that there was this proper response? Turn with me to Acts chapter 7. You guys know the story about Stephen? Acts chapter 7. Hear them pages turn. Come on, brothers. Come on. Let's go there. Let's go there. Let's go there. Acts 7. Now, of course, starting in chapter 6 of Acts, Stephen was just a mighty man of God, full of faith and power, great wonders and signs among the people he did. And, and even those that he's there before the council, they, in, in chapter 6 verse 15, said they sat in the council looking steadfastly at him and saw his face as the face of an angel. What a witness. What was going on here? But then, then he preaches the preaching of his life. It's one of those, drop the mic, it's done. He just preached, he blew Peter out of the water. I mean, he preached a sermon. You read this chapter seven, it's basically, it's the story right there. And he comes to the end of it, of course, and he's just kicking teeth and taking names. He's punching these guys so hard in the nose, it's crazy. And what do they do? They go ballistic. Man, verse 51 of seven you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Bam! Man. And when they heard these things, verse 54, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed their teeth, gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. Talk about somebody who's doing an amazing job of glorifying God in their trials. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. 
And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down, and this is the most amazing part, and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Think about that, guys. Imagine being able to turn around and respond in such a way that those who are stoning you, those who are killing you, he's asking God, don't, don't charge him with this. Forgive him, Lord. Forgive him, Lord. Much like Jesus on the cross. Amen. Responding properly to the suffering guys, bringing glory to God. His eyes were on Jesus. So number three, how do I suffer as a Christian? I realize what is coming. 17 and 18. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? He quotes a proverb here, verse 18. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? So Peter is warning them the things that were to come and telling them that all things, the end of all things is at hand. He's saying, man, God was going to use the suffering and the trials as a way of testing the church and the believers. Kind of like a refiner's fire there, the fiery trial, refining you guys. And of course, the, the, the question being put out there, the fiery trial, are you truly my sheep? Are you truly my disciples? If so, let's, let's let it be seen in how you respond to these trials. Let's see it. Put your money where your mouth is. Let the proof be in the pudding, so to speak. Will you remain faithful? Will you continue in my ways? Will you be obedient to the word? Or will you fall away? Saying, this is too hard. I didn't sign up for this. And unfortunately, brothers, 28 years at this, I've seen many who have sat where you are sitting, who have gone through the fiery trials and basically said, nah, not for me anymore. I'm done with this. They, they weren't responding properly to the trials, of course, and they didn't realize what was coming. And, and that's part of this whole process of, of being educated in Christianity. Man, think it not strange. It's supposed to happen. Now, when you first got saved, or maybe you're, you're, you're going to come forward and somebody stops you, before you get saved, just want to let you know, okay, it ain't all going to be a bed of roses. Huh. No, this is going to happen. 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 You might have said, I'll come back later. I'm going to think about this. Man. And so what is coming? Number one, a time of judgment. Verse 15. In the house of God, God will cleanse the temple. Those whose hearts are not fully the Lord's, those who are just playing church, those who are commit, commit, their commitment is superficial, those who come to church for what they can get out of it instead of wanting God to speak and minister to their heart, those who are not willing to go the narrow way will be judged, will be purged, much like what God in, did in the wilderness. When you remember that, the 40 years. Man, God judged those people. They were being refined. 
And really, when you think about it, Josh and Caleb were the only guys of that age that came through it. You think about Caleb, man, wow. Man who fully or wholly followed the Lord. And that's, that's what we're looking at here, as this, this time of judgment is coming. Those, who are, those whose faith is real, those whose faith has been tested and has been found not wanting, but real, genuine, even as Peter talked about in chapter 1, that the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, which is tested by fire, may be found to glory and honor and praise at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, is that the kind of faith that we have? Are we ready for it, guys? Not only a time of judgment, number two, a time of witnessing, verse 18. If the righteous one is scared he's saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Man, or verse 17, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Man, judgment in the house of God was to determine the true believers. The judgment of the unbelievers is for sin, you guys. The ungodly and the sinner will be judged. See, we're going through our fiery trials here and now. But the unsaved will have a fiery furnace, according to what God's word says, for all eternity. They will experience their fiery trial then. Ours, as Paul said, is but for a moment there. It's but for a moment, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, chapter 4, going into chapter 5. It's but for a moment. Our light affliction is for a moment. But for them, no, it's going to last forever. The condemned will suffer for all eternity. And for us, guys, in the midst of all this, man, the unsaved, gosh, do they need to hear the gospel? It's going to be horrible. Just read Revelation 6 through 19. And, and that's all the, the, that will take place during the tribulation. That's enough to convince you, man, we got to speak up. We've got to get on with the business. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, I charge you therefore before God and Lord Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season out. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering teaching. If there's ever a time that we need to be sharing the love of Jesus, it's now. It isn't going to be pretty when those who don't know him step into eternity. Don't wait. Tomorrow could be too late. Tomorrow could be too late. So I realize what is coming. And number four, how do I suffer as a Christian? I commit my soul to him, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So I commit my soul to him. And this word commits a banking term to deposit for safekeeping, to give over to, basically entrusting our lives to God who is faithful, who as a creator has the power to do anything. He has the power to introduce to you tonight the most horrific, fiery trial of your life or to let you head in and out, grab that double-double, and have no heartburn. Which one do you want? He has the power. He's the creator. But it's a good thing. He can, he can fix it all. 
So we commit our soul. And so I commit my soul to him, though understanding suffering is obviously sometimes God's will. Hard to believe sometimes the things that we are enduring, even right now, this is God's will. Well, let's think about Joseph for a second. Was that God's will for Joseph to suffer the way he did? Of course, we see it in Scripture. What they meant for evil, he meant for good. To preserve a posterity, to bring the nation through the famine. Or about Job's suffering, was that the will of God? That's about as clear as it gets. <laughs> when he's, God's having a conversation with Satan, he's like, oh, okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Don't do this, don't do that. And, of course, we look and we see the end of that book in 42, chapter 42, where, where really Job comes. He, he knew of the Lord in the hearing, but he didn't know him here. He'd come to know him in such a completely different, wonderful way. Or Paul's suffering, as you read even through the book of Acts about Apostle Paul. Man, was his suffering the will of God? Yes, it was. Man. But there's those who suffered that really isn't the will of God, wasn't the will of God. Think about Achan. He was Achan for sure, as you've heard before. Remember when Joshua and the children of Israel come and they, they take on Jericho, but they're told, do not go and take of the accursed things. And what did Achan do? Gave in to temptation, not the will of God, took the accursed things, the Babylonian garment, the the gold, the silvers, whatever, all those saints, and took it, and it cost him and his family their life. Not the will of God. So understanding, though, suffering is sometimes the will of God, which is something that you have to look at, which brings encouragement. But even as Paul, uh, Peter said, don't suffer because of your own sin. Don't do those things. So I commit my soul to him, though, also continuing to do what is right, no matter how hard it gets, Peter spoke of this in chapter 3. Man, you guys, continue doing what is right, what is good. Because that brings God's favor. He sees how we're responding in trials. And he blesses. But also, number three, I commit myself to him knowing he can never fail me. He is with me. He is able. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with this exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power forever. Jude 24, 25. He is able, you guys. He is able. He's never going to fail us. He's going to always help us through these things. Faithful. And those of you that have experienced the fiery trial, looking back, man, was he faithful or not? We're still here. We're still standing. Praise God. So application tonight, a little bit. Number one, in your suffering, do you make others suffer? And you can go home and talk to your wives about this. Or your kids. See, when I'm going through it, do I make others go through it as well? And oftentimes, man, it's like, you just whine, you complain, you kick the dog and the cat, and you, you know, just, man, do I glorify Jesus in this trial, or am I glorifying the enemy? Do, do I make others suffer when I'm suffering? Something to think about. Number two, 
Will you survive the judgment? Will I survive the judgment? Peter said, it is time back then. There's many who think it is time right now. I believe that it is already happening within the church. I believe this whole process in the world we live in right now, the refining fire is coming. God is purging. Who are going to be with me? Because remember Jesus' plan, if you want to be his disciple, what did he say? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow him. The enemy's plan, still kill, destroy. See? And even as we talked about Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18, that we armor up, we put on the armor of God. The battle's not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. The enemy is raging. And he doesn't want you to be there with the Lord. But will you survive the judgment? Number three, have you committed your soul to Jesus? Something to think about. Have you? Now, the assumption is, of course, you're here on a Tuesday night that we're all saved. I've given my life to Christ. I've totally surrendered everything to him. But, of course, the question and what the Lord spoke to me about this is, if, if so, if you've committed your soul to Jesus, does he know it? If so, does he know you? Turn with me lastly to Luke chapter 13. See, it's one thing to say that you know him, but does he know you? Are you his? And does he know it? Luke 13, 22. And this is, this is one of those passages of Scripture that should make you not tremble, but should make you think, should make you look within, should make you cry out to God, really. Jesus, of course, speaking, verse 22, and he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. Then you begin to say, well, hey, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. We can say we know him, but does he know us? And how do we know that he knows us? Of course, only you can tell in your own heart that he knows you, that you're receiving from him, that he's speaking to you in his word, that you're taking it, that you're living your life for him, that you're obedient. You're not practicing lawlessness. You're not practicing, like you said, iniquity, workers of iniquity, these sayings. But even that, to ponder and think and ask yourself that question, Lord, do you know me? I believe I know you. Do you know me? Do you know me? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, 
and they follow me. Man, something to think about, amen? Because it would be a bummer to get there and be like, man, we're in heaven. And, and I've said it before, so you're there before and you're looking, trying to find your name in the book of life. Okay, well, what was the name again? I always pick on Bob. Bob, Bob, what's your last name? Park. Okay, Park. We're going Bob, Bob. Okay, Park. P, 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 P. Yeah, page. There we go, page. <laughs> Sorry. It's not here. Your name is not here. Unfortunately, brothers, that will happen. That is going to happen. Not to us. Amen? We know him. We're going to make it through this judgment that comes. We're going to stand strong. We're going to rock with Jesus. We're holding on even in the midst of all the trials. Representing him, suffering as a Christian, that when people see, when people know, when you go through it, when I go through it, there is that fragrance of Christ, that, that sweet aroma, as, as you and I are, are that burnt offering, and it smells like a ribeye. Nothing better than that, baby. Let's stand, let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for your words. So good. And Lord, in this life, as Jesus said, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome. Lord, we're so glad you overcame. We're so glad you raised from the dead. We're so glad that when we put off this tent, we will rise with you, Lord. So bless my brothers in their group time. Encourage them there, Lord. Those, Lord, who are right now in the furnace, even as the boys were there, remind them, Lord, that there is another in the fire. And you're with them, Lord. And you will bring them through. And you will bring them out, Lord. Bless, we pray. We commit our lives to you again, Lord, tonight. Thank you, Lord, that we know you. Thank you, Lord, that you know us. Bless, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.